The Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast features people from the real estate community sharing real stories about their struggles, pains, and even losses during their own real estate journey. We share these real experiences so you can learn from them and build a successful journey of your own. Now, here's your host, Cody Lewis, one of the managing partners at Vindu Capital, located in Charleston, South Carolina. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited to have you back, but let me tell you, I'm even more excited for our special guest today. He is the CEO of HBG Capital, Brandon Cobb. Brandon, thanks for joining us. How are you, sir? Cody, I'm doing good. It's an honor to be here. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Listen, honor's all mine. I know we were chatting offline a little bit. Love the stuff you guys are, are doing. Love the stuff you guys are putting out there on other shows and stuff like that. So it's really awesome to have you on. I'm excited to hear about what you're going to have today. But before we jump into that and some of the stories I know you got up your sleeve, just in case people haven't found you or heard you quite yet on the interwebs, would love to start out with your origin story, where you're from, how you got into real estate and what you guys are doing these days. Yeah. So I'll give you the now and then we can hit the rewind button. So now I, I run a vertically integrated real estate investment firm, HPG Capital. We assist investors to build their legacy, achieve their dreams and impact those around them through unique real estate investments. But once upon a time, I was in medical device sales from Memphis, Tennessee, originally moved to Nashville roughly eight years ago with the school at UT, had my dream job selling orthopedic medical devices and allografts for shoulders and knees. I got to wear scrubs every single day. I joked that I thought I had the coolest job in the world. Got in his young 20s wearing scrubs and surgery, you know, hanging out with orthopedic doctors. Life was good. And it was my dream job. It took me a long time to break into it, but I got sat down one Friday at a Starbucks with my boss. And I was actually pretty excited because I just had a really good surgery with the surgeon. Power trial went well. I think he was going to use some of our other pumps. The other reps screwed some stuff up in the room and it couldn't have been better. I was so excited to tell him this. And then he fired me. And that was the moment where I realized that nobody was going to look out for my financial well-being, but me. And you can be as loyal as you want to a company, work as hard as you want, but at the end of the day, they got to do what's best for them. And for whatever reason, we had to part ways. That's what started me on my journey. You know, it, it's interesting you say that. I know we were talking off camera. We both come from a corporate, kind of that corporate sales background prior to jumping into real estate. And I had a similar epiphany. I was very fortunate I wasn't let go and just thrown out on the street. My company transitioned me to a different position, but something I loved doing for six and a half years was incredibly successful at. The company just as a whole decided, hey, this position no longer exists. We'll let you do something else if you want to stay on board. It didn't work out for me, but that's when you start, the wheels start to turn, right? And it sounds like they did mm -hmm. for you. It's like, no one, regardless of how profitable or big the company is, is really looking out for you at, at the end of the day. And it sounds horrible. At the end of the day, you're typically like a number on a spreadsheet somewhere. And it's not your name. It's just a number. And you got you to look out for numero uno, unfortunately, and just always have your head on a swivel, if you will, on that kind of stuff. So yep, you hit it on the head and it's nothing personal. Like everyone's got to do what's best for them. And you know, there's no hard feelings. It is what it is. And mm -hmm. don't blame anybody. Hindsight 2020, best thing that ever happened to me. Well, and it's interesting you say that because I know I struggled for years, honestly, years. I mean, it took me probably two years to bounce it around a couple of different companies before I landed with somebody else that I was happy with. But it it it, it was a detriment to me at the time because you think about like, what did I do wrong? What, you know, could I have done anything different? All these things are going through your head. But at the end of the day, like you said, it's business and you have to understand, regardless if you're the richest company in the world, or you're working for a startup, everyone's expendable at any time. So mm -hmm. 
you know, and, and listen, some people, they, they love the W2 world. That's what they're cut out for. Others, it sounds like like you and, and I, we pivot to more entrepreneurial stuff and say, hey, what, what else can we do and what else is out there? We could probably talk at nauseum for that kind of stuff and the transition and going through all those emotions and ups and downs. But we here today to talk a little bit more about some of your unsuccess stories that you've had along your career. Now you're doing incredibly well. You got you guys are rocking and rolling with what y'all are doing and raising capital for all kinds of amazing things. Uh, but I want to pick your brain a little bit on any kind of hiccups, struggles, even failures that you had along the way that helped set you up on where you're at in your journey today. There's a ton. Uh, the first big one was, I think I was 26 or 27 years old. I'd been in business for about a year in the real estate game. We're flipping houses, wholesaling houses. And the third deal we tried to do was a new construction project, right? Pretty, pretty ballsy, but you know, we were all in and, you know, we're using a lot of our own, our own money at the time. We weren't using investors money as we we're figuring all this out, but I'll never forget. I was, I hadn't learned how to build a team. So I was the guy answering the phones. I was the guy going on the appointments. I was the guy showing up to the projects, managing the contractors. And we had this new bill that this GC just, you know, just straight up walked off the job. I think he did a bad job of negotiating what he should have gotten paid, didn't have the sure, experience, sure. whatever reason, left a half-finished house. And who has to jump in? Me. Mm -hmm. My background, to give you an idea, I couldn't be more unsophisticated when it comes to construction. Probably wouldn't know the right way to swing a hammer, okay, just to give you an idea of how things go. But I was motivated. I wanted to figure it out. And showing up every single day, having to find the contractors, manage the contractors, manage the materials, getting the logistics of the whole project together on top of the other project that I was doing. I remember I hit a point one day where I'd cut my finger in this car, transport materials, my, my hands bleeding, my subs yelling at me to get paid. And I'm yelling at him because I don't want to pay him because he's not done yet. It hasn't passed inspection with the city. He's like, I need, I need to pay who and so, oh, so and my family and yada, yada, yada. And my phone's ringing from sellers calling me. Those are literally marketing dollars just being flushed down the toilet. The people buying the home because we were so smart. We put the home under contract before we even built it because we thought that was a great idea. They're showing up asking questions and why we're behind timeline. I learned how much a 27-year-old young single guy could work. And I remember thinking I was absolutely miserable. Everything was falling apart. So I had to pick and choose what I was going to let burn and what I was going to focus on. And the number one priority was getting the money out of that house because we were having cash flow problems when you don't hit things and you go over budget and all your money gets sucked up. So I let everything else burn. We finished the house. We sold the house. I realized I needed to get in touch with people who were doing bigger and better things than me. I joined a mastermind and you know th that solved that particular problem right there. So tell me, what, what was it? We love the idea of coaching on the show. It's a, it's a running theme, whether it's a mastermind group, you, you work directly with a, a particular coach, whatever it is. I, I come from a sports background and a teacher background. All of my parents and siblings are, are all teachers. It's like we give up on this idea that somebody needs to help and guide us that maybe has a little bit more experience than us, a little bit more time on the earth. Uh, and once we get in our professional career, it's like, oh, no, no, we got this. We're good. But really, we've had that all of our life. We just don't realize. So anyway, we're, we're big fans of that. But what was it in the mastermind group that really was the unlock of the potential that helped you 
learn and overcome some of the challenges you had, especially in that initial build and I would imagine some others? Systems, processes, and mental hurdles. You don't know you can do something until you see other people doing it. I've been attached to the sales rep role that they say, hire your role that you're best at last. And that's exactly what we do. So learning to let go, having that group around me of people who had already done what I was trying to achieve, had much more bigger and successful businesses and lives for that matter than I had, that was a huge unlock for me. All the little things that go into it, because business is the process of trying to perfect every little nuance of the business to get the machine rowing and flowing and turning as smooth as possible. Having an onboarding guide for a sales rep or a project manager, I could just go take from someone else instead of spending 20 hours, you know, figuring out how to make one. Having all the right lists and marketing methods, which marketing methods were working best, how to properly execute a cold calling system or a mailing system or a door hanging system, right? People had already figured this out. Being able to take that information and just copy and paste it and forego the years of trying to figure it out that was the biggest takeaway. So let me, let me ask you for those that may be listening, they're saying, you know, Brandon, I hear you, but if I got it, if I, if I can't do it myself, it cuts into my margins. It cuts into what I'm going to be able to take home, you know, put food on my table. What do you say to those people that may be listening and having those kind of doubtful thoughts on, on what you're saying and bringing some other partners in to help you push past what maybe you don't have the experience or knowledge of quite yet in your career at that point? You know, it's tough. You know, the first time I was going to spend $25,000 on a mastermind, I was very hesitant because the whole scammy guru thing is so much more rampant than the success stories that you hear. So I was like, you know, I just don't know about that. And, you know, it, it took some, some, you know, luckily I knew somebody who was in this mastermind. I could call them and it just so happened that my partner also knew somebody. We didn't know they were in it, but we found out they were in it and we called them. And that was really the trigger that pushed us through over the threshold to jump into it. But we measure ROI in a number of ways. A lot of business owners say, oh, you know, what's the ROI of my marketing? I spend one marketing dollar. How many am I going to get back? I hire somebody and I'm going to get how much money back. If you look at the ROI from joining something or a mastermind or a coaching or an educational course, just look at the dollars that that saves you. And I'm pretty sure that I saved $25,000 in the first like two weeks that I joined. I think they were able to save like $20,000 a year off our marketing budget just by the group discount that they were able to go and negotiate. So look at it from an ROI standpoint right? You spend 20, 30, 40, whatever thousands of dollars, how much are you going to get back out of it? Right. And, you know, doing that first big purchase, that's always going to be the the toughest one. That's why I always ask to go and sit down at the mastermind and see it first before Mm. I spend my money, because you should, you should know in the first two, three days you're there, whether or not like you you should get that F F yes, feeling like, yes, I want to join this. Yeah. You know, that's a good idea. And I don't think a lot of people have thought about that, or at least maybe spoken out loud, at least on this show and to a lot of the other shows I listen to as well, you know, asking to go be a partake and like be a witness there, I think is a great thing because to your point, there are a lot of bad actors out there. They, they do or, or buy or whatever, one thing, one asset, and now they're a master of, of the trade themselves. So it's like, how do I validate, you know, you got some good people telling you, yes, this is worthwhile. But the next step, I think, to your point, and I love it, go sit down. And if they're not willing to let you in for a sneak peek, just a little bit behind the curtains, is it really good? You're going to have to determine, is it really going to be worth it or not? Yeah. right. All the good ones let you in and, and go do that. So 
Yeah, and, and they shouldn't be needing to hide anything. I mean, it's it's not like it's complete secret sauce. They're just optimizing what you need to do and leveraging the group to help you overcome whatever obstacles are in your way, if I will. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but that, that's at least what I'm hearing you say and thinking through. So yeah, let me, no, you hit it on the head. Well, let me ask you this. So, so that was an early lesson you learned. I would imagine you, there's plenty of other stories. Any other big lessons that you learned or, or obstacles you faced in your career thus far that maybe would help educate the audience as well? Yeah. One thing we've been really good at at all is always buying right. And I can't stress how important this is. I'll I'll tell you a story, big failure we had, but the failure per se was prevented, or I guess the consequences of the failure were prevented because we had bought it right. We we bought this home and we thought it was going to be a rehab. We I think we bought it for like $130,000. And then we ended up spending about $40,000 gutting it, getting stuff ready. We find out this house never had any footings poured. I mean, I'm talking, imagine concrete CMU blocks being stacked on the ground. That's how old this house was. We had to tear the house down. And, uh, you know, we, this was a home, you know, we'd used, you know, some investors money on it. So it was their money locked into the house. And so not only did we not buy it, right, but we just poured all this money into it. Now we got to tear it down. So we had to rebuild this house. And so, you know, I had the call, told the investor what we we're going to do. And they're like, was this, you know, disaster? And I said, well, it's about the worst thing that could possibly happen, but everything's going to be fine. We're going to rebuild the house. We're going to sell it and we're going to roll on. He's like, well, I'm going to lose my money. And I said, no, you're not going to lose your money. We're just going to come out of pocket what we got to do to take care of it. And it ended up, we ended up, I think, losing about 20 on the deal, which is not bad given the fact that the land was only worth about $75,000 and we had had about a hundred and 70 in it, but we bought it right. We bought it at a huge discount. And that philosophy has stayed with us. We build in these huge margin deals where we can stomach having some kind of disaster like that happen and us still being profitable, not not going under. So that buying it right is huge. We've got a piece of land right now. We're entitling for 75 homes and it'll be done here in about three months. We're buying it for $700,000. We're using an investor's money. There's a home that sits on this land that's worth $380,000. We're going to subdivide it off and we're going to sell it. And we'll have maybe $320,000 in the deal. The land's going to be worth at least $2 million. That's what I'm talking about. That's how we try to position our investors' capital for capital preservation and long-term wealth, really deep equity deals. Man, I love that. And and for those that are listening at home, because I, I know they're they're probably driving down the road or watching this wherever. And it's like, how do I find these? Especially if they're new, they're starting out or or they're relatively new. How are you guys finding these deals? Or what would be your advice to buying right or finding the deals to be able to buy right? Because we're of the mindset too. Some of the best deals that we find are the ones we say no to because they're yeah. not, we can't buy them right. So w- what's your advice for those that are out there listening or watching that say, well, great, Brandon, but how do I find these deals? That sounds like a fantastic deal. I would scoop it up too, but how do I, what's the best way to find these types of things or how are you going about looking? Direct to seller in this competitive market, I feel is the only way to find really deep discounted deals. You're just not going to find it on the broker market or the MLS. It's it's just too hot right now. That, that, that will change one day. So what we did was we needed to figure out a way to find a blue ocean. 
and everyone's marketing, everyone's doing the direct to seller, right? You know, that, that doesn't work as well as it used to. So what we did was we went to the local planning commissions and the mayors of the suburbs of the areas that we wanted to build in. And we said, what's your vision for the city? What do you want? And they were very surprised to see us. They're like, no developers ever come to us and ask this before. And we said, well, we want to help you build the vision. What is it? And we're like, huh, well, this is where we want density. This is where we want apartments. This is where we want industrial. And they gave us the whole plan, right? So what we did was we just circled those areas and told the sales team, go knock on their door, right? Cut through all the noise, just go direct to them, call them, leave notes on the door, go direct to seller. So we have a very small list of property that we go after. We're not doing this whole big spray and pray thing. We shut the big marketing machine down years ago, and now it's a very laser-focused effort because we know which areas that we want to buy. And you're able to cut through the noise when Mm -hmm. you're able to do that. And when you can rezone someone's land and you know how to do that or learn how to do it, if you're new, I challenge you to go learn something like that. Nobody was born knowing how to do it. You add a lot of value to their land. And so now I can take this, this, I can give this seller $700,000 for this, property that's only worth, you know, 380 or whatever, right? So they're happy. I just built, you know, 1.8 million dollars of equity in the deal by rezoning it. We're happy. So we look for those situations where we can give the city what they want, give the seller what they want, and we get what we want. It literally everybody wins. But it starts with like where's the blue ocean, right? Mm-hmm. And usually the blue ocean is where the most difficult things are. Not a lot of people know how to rezone and title land. I personally think that it's easy because we know how to do it, but we didn't think that, you know, two years ago, three years ago. Right. So find off market deals and get creative. That, that's the one piece that I'm taking away from that. I love that entire spiel. I think the most important thing that I heard was you have to be creative. There are a lot of people doing a lot of the similar stuff. And uh, I mean, again, I came from a corporate background it was the spray and pray like, Hey, you got to make a hundred calls a day to get one lead to hopefully close. And, you know, we hear a lot about that even these days in in real estate, but I love that you guys said, okay, well, everyone else is doing that. How else can we be different and thinking outside the box and going directly to the source and saying, Hey, where do you guys want this stuff? What are you, what are you Mm -hmm. trying to do? And then being in, in good favor with the city, the County, the town, whoever, and saying it will help you build it. That is amazing. So that's a way to think outside the box. Brandon, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on board. I think those are two incredibly great stories with two incredible great outcomes with lo- really good lessons for the audience. I'm taking a lot away. Hopefully they are too. But for those that want to work with you, invest with you, learn from you in the future, where's the best place people can find you at out on the interwebs? Yeah. So if you're somebody who's interested in building your legacy, capital preservation, passive income secured by recession resistant real estate, you can go to our website, ecapital.net. That's harrybobgarrycapital.net. I joked that .com wasn't available, so it is .net. But we've got tons of free content. We've got a free ebook, Recession Resistant Passive Income. It goes over our whole strategy. It's completely free. If you go to our educational resources tab, we have a book called 100 questions passive investors should be asking before investing. I wrote that book because I had an investor call me and he lost all of his money in a real estate deal to somebody he lent it to. And it was such a sad story. I said, God, what can I do to make sure this doesn't ever happen to anybody ever again? And so that's the reason why I I put that book 
on our website is just ask those questions before investing any money with anybody and you will have a very good idea whether or not you should invest with them. You know, if you want to schedule an introductory call to, to get to know us better, we'd love to get to know you. You know, again, it's on our website, schedule yourself directly in the Cowling link and we look forward to getting to know you. It's perfect. Brandon, again, thank you so much for the time, the lessons and, and everything you got to us today. Hey, thanks, Cody. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And hey, thanks everyone for listening and watching at home. We'll see everyone next time. You've been listening to the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast with Cody Lewis. Be sure to subscribe today on your favorite podcasting platform so you can catch every episode of the Real Estate Unsuccess Stories podcast.